You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Ridgecrest Baptist Church in Springfield, Missouri. To connect with us or learn more, visit us online at ridgecrestbaptist.org. So if you have your copy of scripture and you will stand with me one more time, we can do this. It's a lot. I thought about trying to bring it down, you know, give you the Cliff's notes, but that's just wrong. We need to give you the whole story, okay? So let's listen to this. Acts chapter 10. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his household and gave alms generously to all the people and prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius, and he stared at him in terror and said, what is it, Lord? And he said to him, your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him. And having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens open and something like a great sheet descending, uh, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, this is pretty brave, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time. What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. Now, while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate and called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. And Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one you are looking for. What is the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man who is well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So he invited them in to be his guest. The next day he rose and went away with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. And on the following day they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. And when Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up and said, Stand up, for I too am a man. And he talked with him, and he went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection I asked then why you sent for me. And Cornelius said, four days ago about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayers 
Uh, your prayer has been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon, a tanner by the sea. So I sent for you at once, and you have been kind enough to come. Now therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. Now I don't want to take this too far, but let me say this. I believe that we are all here for a purpose this morning. We are gathered in the presence of God, and let us, let us all hear what the Lord has for us to hear today. Amen? Amen? All right, let's pray. God, speak to us and show us what we need to see. Let us hear what we must hear, and God, prepare us for the next step of our journey. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I do believe that God has another step for us in our journey. I think that God is shifting gears for us. I want you to think for just a moment of that, that feeling you have when life transitions on you a little bit. Perhaps a new job, perhaps a new school, or perhaps a new addition to the family. All these things can be good, but they are still very jarring to us. We get settled into certain patterns. We like things a certain way, but life doesn't always allow us to stay in the same gear. Sometimes we need to move in new directions. As a church, it's important for me to say this right up front. God is always working in his church and among his people to move them in new directions, but it is crucial that we never move away from the gospel. We have new directions to go in, but that doesn't mean that we are going away from the gospel. It just means that there is something more, something different that God has for his people. When God puts a vision in the midst of his people, it's not just one man, a senior pastor like myself that gets that vision. It's something that we all must get a hold of. But to get a hold of what's next, we have to beware of our proclivities to hold on to traditions. And sometimes what we have done with our traditions is we've added on to, we've expanded a little bit to what God's word has said. And let me just say, we never want to go beyond the gospel. The gospel is always enough. We don't want to build up any walls that will keep us from God's mission for us. We want to make sure that we are doing everything that he would have us do. This week in my Bible study, I've been in Ecclesiastes. So I'm really in need of some warmth in my life. I've got winter and Ecclesiastes. This is killing me. But I came across this verse, and it really touched me. Uh, Ecclesiastes 2.26 says this, To the sinner he has given the business of gathering and collecting. Now I want you to hear this. To the sinner he has given the business of gathering and collecting. I believe that if we want to avoid sin, church, we must never be in the business of gathering and collecting, whether it is our traditions, whether it is gathering and collecting kind of just our own kind of a church and doing things the way we want to. Here's the deal. I believe that the gospel calls us to sacrifice and to give it all away. Our goal here at Ridgecrest is not to just collect a bunch of people. It's great to gather together with a lot of people like this and be together in worship, but our goal here is to never be satisfied with just a status quo. We want to do more. We want to move out. We want to be all that God would have us be. This story 
about Cornelius and Peter is a fascinating story. It is an amazing story that perhaps we fail to notice is repeated two more times. The story of Cornelius' conversion occurs three times in the book of Acts. There's only one other story in the book of Acts that is repeated three times, and that is Paul's conversion. Now think about this for a moment. When we think about one of the centerpieces of the book of Acts, obviously Paul's conversion is something that we're going to think of pretty quickly. Paul is such a major part of the narrative and really one of its main characters, no doubt. But here's the interesting thing. When Luke is trying to emphasize the work of the church, he keeps emphasizing what happened with Cornelius. This is a big deal. In fact, what this is, Cornelius's conversion is truly the beginning of the outworking of that fourth element of Acts 1-8 in the Great Commission. This is when the gospel begins to go into the Gentile world full bore, and this is truly a moment where everything changed, where the church had to shift gears. The church up until this point had been a church that was mostly appealing to either the Jewish population or to those Gentiles who had very much embraced Judaism. Really, that's where the church was. Now, if you'll remember last week when we left off, I said, notice this interesting thing happening with Peter going to hang out with Simon the Tanner. I, I gave you a little bit of a heads up about what we were going to be talking about here today. Because in that moment, we begin to see Peter's vision changing. He's going to a place where there are unclean people. Now, Simon the Tanner was most likely, he was Jewish, so it wasn't that he was not of the same faith, but he was certainly a person who had a job that made him unclean. Right there, we begin to see that Peter is being moved in a different direction. Now, I'll talk more about it here in a moment, but you need to realize Peter wasn't a, uh, a person who had, had a faith that was just hit and miss. He was a serious follower of Yahweh. He was a true servant of, of his people and of his faith. For him to begin to change like this is no minor thing. In fact, it is a huge element of this story. He had to have, Peter did, an overhaul of all his traditions. Now, I want to pause for just a moment and ask you, are there any traditions that need overhauling in your life? Are there any ways in which you are sort of stuck and not moving forward spiritually? I think that in the church today, many of us, if we have been in church, we have our routines, we have found our slot, our place, our role, and sometimes we will get in that spot and we shan't be moved. And I want you to know that, that when we are unwilling to move, that might mean that we are not allowing God's spirit to move us. And that to me is where the church begins to die. A church that is living and growing has to be willing to move when God says move. So traditions aren't a bad thing, but I want you to know today, they're not the main thing. What we need to realize is, is that the gospel is sufficient and we should not subtract from it or add to it. I wanted to give you those three principles because as we look at what Peter is doing here, he is a traditionalist 
No, for us it would be if you were raised in a Baptist church and you've always done your Baptist church thing a certain way and that begins to change, that's what we're dealing with here. We need to realize that that's it. And that what's happening to Peter, I think, is something that God wants his church to consider in every generation. There are times in which we have to say, okay, we've been doing some good things, we're moving in a good direction, but if we're going to be faithful to what God wants us to be, if, he, if he's given us a vision, are we brave enough and bold enough to move forward with it? That is what we are trying to come to terms with today. And again, it's like that grass seed on the snow. The seed isn't going to grow right away, but I hope today that we'll plant a few seeds and that you'll see what God is calling us to do as a church. Let's begin by looking at this man by the name of Cornelius, and let's talk about how God gathers his own. When I was just starting out in preaching um, in the mid-90s, that long, long time ago, Uh, It is actually a long, long time ago in some ways, especially if you ask my children. But anyway, uh, back then, people started to, at least preachers started to, get a little bit more business-like in how they approached church. One of the things that they were teaching us back in those days was that if a church was going to grow, it had to uh, reach out into its community and find the target demographic, the target audience. And some churches would develop, we're looking for this kind of person and this kind of income, this kind of job, this kind of lifestyle. Those are the individuals that fit us best. Let's go out and reach those kinds of people. That is a wonderful business model. It has nothing to do with the gospel. It's a very clever way to build a church, but it's not Christ's way. That's narrowing the bandwidth. That's saying, we want people that look like us and think like us and talk like us. And I want you to know that that is not what God has called the church to be. We are supposed to break out of those bonds and look for the people that are hurting. We want to be a people who love people. Look around you, my friends, and realize that this community that we're in as a church right here is changing. It's always going to be changing. That's the nature of the world. What worked maybe 20, 30 years ago is not going to work in the next 20 to 30 years. The demographics are going to shift. And if you want to stay right where you are, you can die where you are. Or we can say, God, what are you doing around us? Who are the people around us? And then we will reach those that God has put around us and we'll do it with all of our hearts. You see, God gathers his own. He is at work at Ridgecrest, but I believe that he is at work around us in our neighborhoods. He is speaking to people. There are people who are going through life and they're experiencing the ups and downs of life. And some of them are asking the right questions. And if we are faithful in sharing the gospel, if we are reaching our community, we will be able to go and minister to them. But we have to be ready. We have to prepare our hearts, believing that God is preparing the hearts of others. As we look at this passage and we look into a little bit more of who Cornelius is, he represents the every nation that Jesus had told the church to go and reach. The Greek word there is ethnos, people group, nationalities. God was very clear from the beginning that this was a message for all the world. Now, that's where Cornelius comes in. He was a centurion. He was from Italy. 
He was part of the Italian cohort. We think as we look at this and with some of the other evidence that we can glean and gather from the first century, there would have been a, a group of soldiers that would have had ties to the city of Rome and they were very proud of that, so they had what they called their little Italian club, so to speak, there in Palestine. They were Roman soldiers, they were there on business, and a centurion like Cornelius would have been over 100 men, um, and that 100 men group was part of a cohort, uh, and that cohort was all from Italy, and from Rome in particular. So here's my guess. God was at work in Cornelius because Cornelius had connections in a city called Rome. In that day, the city of Rome was the centerpiece of just the whole pagan Western world. It was the middle of everything. So God is working in Cornelius' heart, yes, to save him and to save his family, but also to reach the nations. You see, God is at work here in this passage. Who is this Cornelius? Well, he was a Roman. He was in Palestine. He was a Roman soldier. But God had begun to work on him. Scholars call this particular type of Gentile in first century Palestine a God-fearer. Comes straight from the text here. That language is used. But here is a man who doesn't have the ethnos, the ethnicity of the Hebrew of Judaism, but he has a desire to follow to find God and to follow God. Verse two tells us all we need to know about this man. This is a devout man. He fears God, therefore a God-fearer. And with all of his household, so he led his house to seek after Yahweh. They were generous in their almsgiving. So this was a good man who was seeking God. And amazingly enough, the good man who was seeking God is the one that God sent an angel to to speak to in a vision. It's so interesting, the language. Like, God says, I've heard your prayers. I, I appreciate your gifts. You are a man who is trying to find me. So let me tell you where to go. You need to go and find this Simon Peter, who is staying with Simon the Tanner. It's getting confused, uh, confusing here, a lot of Simons. Uh, so he spells it out and says where to go. He's down there by the sea. Go check him out. And that's what Cornelius does. This passage that I just read to you covers about a four-day period, and you'll see here how God is speaking to the Gentile Cornelius and to the Jew Peter, but he's doing this to bring them together to break down cultural barriers. You see, devout men and women do what God says no matter what is around them, no matter how they were trained or however they were predisposed to do things. We must be willing to listen to God and move when he tells us to move. Caesarea was an important city. It was a hub of Roman activity, therefore Gentile activity. If the gospel was going to spread out into the world, Caesarea was the place in Israel from which it would go. You see Acts 1-8 again, God meant business. God was in the process of reaching the nations. Jesus says this in Matthew 8, 11. He said, many will come from east and west and sit at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. Cornelius begins that process. Here is a man who begins the process of the gospel going to the nations. Listen, God brings us together. He is so good at putting together mosaics. You know what a mosaic is? 
A mosaic is just a bunch of broken pieces of colored tile, but when you put it together in the right way, it can make a beautiful picture. That kind of artwork was very popular in the mid-medieval ages, and you can go to the cathedrals today in Europe and see examples of this. It will blow your mind. Every one of those little tiles is about the size of your fingernail on your pinky. And yet when you look up, you see these beautiful pictures that those tiny little pixels, those are, I guess, the very first pixels in the world. And those pixels make beautiful pictures. Well, those, those uh, tiny little pieces of colored stone in a mosaic or the pixels on your computer screen are good analogies for what God is doing in our midst. He is wanting us to make sure that we are faithful to reach every person the mosaic will not be complete if you are not sharing your faith. The key is, is we must not ever allow ourselves to be limited by what is, but we must ask God what must be, what ought to be, what he wants us to be. And we are not going to reach out to those individuals if we're not trusting in the Lord, trusting that his gospel is enough. The message of Jesus is what the world needs. And if you will seek truth, I'm telling you, truth will find you. Cornelius is a beautiful example of the person who seeks truth and then truth finds him. But before it could all come together, a man named Peter had to have a change of perspective. He had to have God change his perspective. Now let me just speak to some of you who've been raised in church. Now, I don't know about you, but I could probably uh, go toe-to-toe with any of you. I was raised in a Baptist church. I cut my teeth on a Baptist uh, pew. I've been whipped on the front stairs, back stairs, inside the sanctuary, outside the sanctuary. I've been in trouble in churches more than you can imagine. I am a through-and-through Baptist. My mom and dad raised me that way. I I love our denomination. I really do. But I'm going to tell you, one of the things that I've noticed over the years is that when you're raised in a pretty, pretty tight religious environment like that, it's hard to change. Baptists, I I love you all. Again, you know, I I love to be your shepherd and serve you, but you can be knuckleheads. (laughs) You've been raised to be knuckleheads, to think that if you've got something going good, you're never going to change it. Now, I understand that. I get it. I've been there. I've done that. But I want you to realize that if God is speaking to you, that trumps whatever comforts you've found. Whatever gear, whatever lane, whatever path that you found that you think is good enough, if God begins to speak, it's time to listen. Cornelius was certainly brave to reach out to Peter, but I want you to know that Peter's bravery in this passage is super amazing to me because I see a man who had been practicing his faith for years, changing directions as God speaks. Now, Peter didn't do this easily. If you'll notice there where it speaks of the vision, I mean, right away, he's like, by no means. I mean, he's talking to God. Some, some scholars have said here, we have like a little mini Jonah going on here. Like, you know, God, don't tell me to do that. I've always been faithful to uh, avoid those unclean animals. Don't make me unclean. And that's when God has to continually repeat in the passage, don't you dare call unclean what I have made clean. Now, of course, that's talking about dietary elements, but I want you to realize that there's another part of this that's more than whether or not you have pork barbecue for lunch today. 
There's a lot more going on here than just ceremonial law. What's really going on here is as, as God reveals his truth, are you hungry enough for his truth to absorb that and to follow God no matter what? The work of God requires our complete submission to God. We have to be willing to change our way and submit to God, his word and his people. Now, I want to tell you that when God begins to speak, we have to be careful here. Because sometimes a guy like me will get up and say, God told me to do this, and then I don't allow anybody to question that, and then we move forward. But if you notice the passage here, Peter is very wise. He goes and he follows what the vision has told him to do, but notice he takes brothers with him. Verse 23, he doesn't do this alone. He's involving other people. He gets the leaders of the church around him and says, hey, look, God's moving us in a very unusual direction here. I need some backup. Well, that's why we have elders. That's why we at Ridgecrest have pastors, other people where we receive, I believe God has called me to, to lead the church and to be visionary in that way, but never, ever, ever do I think that I can do that by myself. Peter shows us that, that there is leadership here. There is a willingness on his part to have his perspective changed, but he's careful. He's cautious. He moves in slow fashion. God has been working in my heart and showing me some things, and I, I wish I could reveal more of them to you this morning, but I can't do that. Uh, it would be half-baked, and you don't need that, okay? I'm already half-baked enough. You don't need more of it. But, but as God continues to unveil it, one of the things I've asked God to show me is the timing. Help me find the pace, Lord. Help me know as I'm leading Ridgecrest, you, you've shown me some things that you want us to do, to expand, to grow, to plant churches, to, to reach people in our community. But God, what does that look like exactly? And what pace would you have us go? And I'm gonna tell you, God continues to show me that it is time for the church to move and to move quickly. But don't think that that means it's impetuous. I've been praying about this for months, almost a year now. I have been pouring out my heart with our staff and with our elders. And as we all begin to see the dream God has for us, I believe that we make it better together. The church should operate as a body. But we have to be brave. We have to allow God to change our perspective and to look at, at the opportunities around us and what it's gonna to take to reach our community. Now, what's interesting here is, is Peter had to hear the message three times. Verse 16, this is how we know Peter was a Baptist. He had to hear it three times. I, I, I think that repetition is key here. We have to continue to hear the word of the Lord and let the Lord show us. Now, it's interesting when Cornelius's people got to Peter, the gate was closed. Peter had to go down and open up the gate. Now, I know that's just a part of the narrative. I think it's a true part of the narrative, but there's also probably an illusion here. There is always uh, the possibility that in our faith, in the practice of our faith, we've built up some gates over time. And there is going to come a time when we must open that gate, especially if it's a gate that we've built. Now, we build gates and we build hedges and we do all these things to protect ourselves. I get it. But sometimes those gates we've built have more to do with keeping people out than keeping us safe. I believe in gates. I believe in being a, a, a person that's careful. As a shepherd, I want to protect the flock. But sometimes the gates and the walls we've built are more detrimental to those who need to come in. 
We do not want to put barriers up. We want to break down walls so that people can come in. I see that in the text. Gospel people should strive to keep every gate open. But that takes a change of perspective. We need to realize that God alone can change us. Look at verse 28. And he said to him, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew, this is Peter talking, to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. That's a change of perspective. That's someone who realizes that now the time has come to not allow the traditions of his Judaism to keep him from the new way that Christ has unveiled. Christ had already done away with the ceremonial law. Mark 7, 19b tells us that. Jesus had fulfilled the elements of that ceremonial law. So Peter is not being asked to sin. Peter's just unaware of the fact that things have changed. Now listen, Jesus changes things. I don't change things, you don't change things. Things are altered by him. And so in this moment, all we see is God making clear what Jesus had already done. Listen, God grants salvation to all. And that's the focus of this message here today. Peter, Cornelius, this whole story is about evangelism. When we think about our call as a church, we are called to share our faith right outside of these doors. We have our reach center. You have the opportunity to put that, that ping pong ball into that container to show and to represent those gospel sharing opportunities that you've had. We want that to be front and center in our church because we believe that expanding the kingdom of God starts with the people of God sharing the faith they have in Christ. It's that simple. Peter was able to realize that God's new covenant had altered everything, that everyone was open now, open for the gospel, and he wanted to go and bring them together. One thing I wanna point out here is, is that Peter, when he is sure that God has spoken, when it is confirmed by his elders, by his leadership around him, we see Peter having a whatever it takes attitude. Church, I'm here to tell you, that must be our attitude as well. Whatever it takes to reach our community in the name of Jesus. Let me point out something rather comical. Look at verses 25 and 26. When Peter and Cornelius first met, Cornelius worshiped him as though he were a god. That's awkward. Now, here's what's funny. That's awkward because of cultural differences. In the Greco-Roman world, if there was a religious leader, falling before him and paying homage to him was not unusual. That was kind of a Gentile way. Peter's like, don't do that. So if you've ever been on a mission trip, you've ran into these weird moments where you do something or say something or someone else says something or does something that's just a little weird. You find yourself in awkward situations. So let me say this, church, we must do whatever it takes and we must also prepare for awkwardness. 
It's going to get weird if we're going to be faithful. <laughs> That's just the way it is. But the power of Jesus, when it happens, he begins to work in people and change them from the inside out. And what we see in Cornelius' life here is a man who surrenders all for Jesus. What we see in Peter's life is a man who surrenders all for Jesus. Friends, that's what it's going to take. Each of us as a member of this church surrendering everything to Jesus. And if we do that, God will begin to save souls. But let me mention this. Peter put himself in a lot of trouble to do this. To follow God in this way meant that he was at odds with most of the people that he knew growing up. This had to be very hard for his heart and soul. So let me mention this. Let God break us if that is what it takes to have a spiritual breakthrough. We must be willing. We must prepare ourselves to suffer. Now, I wanted to end with that, not to end on a low note, but as I've been meditating on what it means to be a Christian in our age, I've, I've been thinking a little bit by, by looking back at what it meant to be a Christian in ages past. If you go way back into the first two to 300 years of the church, the number one way that a Christian would be identified as a Christian, as I can see it is, those Christians were willing to suffer for Jesus. They were willing to suffer with Jesus as a result of their faith. Now, that ought to jar you because today, when we identify ourselves as Christians, I don't think suffering is at the top of the list. We think about our gifts. We think about our calling. We think about our specific kind of ministries we do at our church, the kind of music we like, the kind of sermons we like, all those things. But when the early church thought about what it was and who they were, they thought about where is my opportunity to give to Jesus, to suffer for Jesus. You see, that's where the church today, if we're going to be successful, if we're going to see another movement of God like they saw here in the book of Acts, we must be willing to suffer. Like Cornelius, I'm asking you this morning to seek God with all your heart. Like Peter, this morning, I'm asking you to consider allowing God to remove any gospel barriers in your life or your tradition. And like Jesus, I'm asking you to suffer, to give, to sacrifice, to reach souls. I think this passage shows us that a growing church those must be the priorities. Those are hard things. But if we will do those hard things, God will give us great success. And success is not gonna be measured by the world. Success can only be measured in the kingdom of heaven where people will go when they are saved. Let's be a church reaching our community. Let's not Turn away from the plan God has for us. Let's find out what God has made clean. Let's find out what God has ordained for us. And let's plant those seeds and do it boldly. Let's pray. Thanks for listening. For additional resources, to learn more about us, or get connected, visit RidgecrestBaptist.org.